0: Good morning. <laughs> Usually I say good evening. Now it's 5:30 uh, a.m. and this is uh, the night of Oshana Arabah, the Laila Kadosh, the holy night. Uh, this whole tikkun is based on the the words of the Kabbalist, the Mekubalim. Based on the pshat, there's not that much really to do besides the the davening of the morning. We we, we do Sheva Akafot. Seven times around the around the bima, as you know, the synagogue is built like Bet Hamikdash used to be. So you have uh, it's like the mizbeach and the Aron Kodesh is Kodesh Hakodeshim. And in Bet Hamikdash, they used to go around the bima, there, around the mizbeach, I should say. They used to put aravot in in uh, barrels of, wa- of water. They used to put aravot. And they used to do this tikkun in Bet HaMikdash. That's, the, this, that's why this custom is already for 2,000 years. We do it every year. And uh, the Aravot is growing by water. They need water. So they grow arve Nachal. That's the, that's the way the Torah describes it. Even though you should know there's Red Aravah, Green. There's a lot of different Aravot. There's a lot of... There's hundreds of books that were written about Arbat Aminim. Different kind of Etrogim. How do you know it's not mixed? How do you know it's 100% kosher? The Moroccan etrog, the Yemenite etrog, all kinds of different from Italy, or many, many different etrogim. Which one, everyone argue which one was the original etrog as the Torah spoke about, it's very complicated. You know, but one thing we know that uh, this custom of going around with the lulavim, with arbataminim, is a memory as they used to do in Bet HaMikdash. In Bet HaMikdash, they used to do the, the, the Alel with the Arbat Aminim. It's from the, the oraita, the entire Hag of Sukkot. Some say, Rav Shalom, I heard in his name, that even people who goes to the Kotel amaravi today, is a souvenir. It's like a memory of Bet HaMikdash. There's really no Bet HaMikdash, but the holiness of the place, if they go every day to Daven there, it's count like the, it's Mitzvah De oraita every day. But the rest of the world, the rest of Israel, only the first day is Deoraita. And the rest of the holiday, it's all rabbinical, the rabbanan. Just a memory of. That's why there's different halachot in the first day of Sukkot and the rest of the days. The first day, if, you're, if you have an etrog with a pitam, with the edge, the pitam, the, it broke. First day, it's pasul. You cannot make bracha on it. The rest of the days is Kasher, right? It's the Rabbana, Safegh the Rabbana le Kula. the right al Khumra you can do. And many other differences in a second. The rest of the days is more lenient as opposed to the first day. Now, as you know, in Chag Sukkot, there's many questions about this Chag Sukkot. First of all, why Chag Sukkot comes in a time when the winter begins? The exodus of Egypt was Yitziat Mitzrayim, was in the spring. The Torah called the Nes, the miracle of Pesach. Pesach called Chag Aviv, the holiday of the spring. And HaKadosh Baruch wants Pesach always to be the exodus of Egypt, that we celebrate Pesach always when it's nice and warm, like it was in the time of the exodus of Egypt. And uh, the mitzvah of Sukkah is a memory of this miracle of Yetziat Mitzrayim. So, then it's really technically should, should have been that we sit in a Sukkah and do Lela Seder together. That's really the ideal way it should have been. It should have been Sukkot, should have been combined with Pesach. Well, when you do Lela Seder the night, and then also you sit in a Sukkah, you have the Schach, you have everything combined as the memory of this miracle. Why it was broken to two different holidays. One holiday, Pesach, the Exodus of Egypt, Arba Kosot, Maror, all these things we do in Pesach, and all of a sudden, a few months later, in Sukkot, when it's already starting to be cold and it's raining, and then we need mostly because of the rain and the cold. Otherwise, most of the tsar when a person is in pain, in sorrow, what can it be? Either it's raining on him or it's freezing, right? But in the spring, it's beautiful. You wouldn't, have, you wouldn't need this law, patur So why it's falling like this? Why it's falling in tishrei? So the answer is, as you know, after the scene of the golden calf, the ananea kavod, which Hashem made the ananim, this clouds, was like a special roof on top of the Bnei Israel when they came out of Egypt, from the hot, uh, from the hot desert. So the Anania, there were seven different kinds of clouds. One cloud was making the floor straight. Because, you know, in the desert, sometimes it goes up, it goes down. It's not so straight. There's holes in the ground. People can sprain their ankles. He used to make the floor straight like a floor today. They also, and then right after they passed, it goes back to the way it was. A much clear miracle in front of their eyes. Not only the ocean split. There are many miracles for every step they, they were making. Also, it was like air-conditioned. It air comes cool breeze with some steam of cold water, and it also makes shed. And also, it cleans the clothes. The clothes have special dry clean. They need to change the clothes for 40 days, 40, 40 years. 40 years, they didn't need to change their clothes. None of the clothes getting ripped. Everything sm- smell beautiful, clean. There's a lot of miracles, one after the other. So, after the scene of the golden calf, the clouds disappeared. When the clouds came back, after Moshe Rabbein went up for 40 days, came down the following day after Yom Kippur, right after that, shortly after that, the Ananea Kavot came back. That day is already memorized as Chag Sukkot, as is Zecher Ananea Kavot. There's two reasons why we sit in a sukkah, in a Gemara. Two reasons. One reason is because of the cloud who was protecting us from the sun. Second reason is because actually they built Sukkot just like the Sukkot we have today, they actually set in a Sukkah. So because of these two reasons, so the main part of the Sukkah, everybody understands, is the Shach. The Shach is the holy part of the Sukkah. So therefore, a Jew can call a Goy to build the whole Sukkah for him, everything, the walls, every, the floor, he make up, he can even put the decoration for you, put the tables in, the chairs, clean, whatever you want, as long as a part of the s'chach you do on your own. If not, you didn't do mitzvah sukkah. You have to build. To build a sukkah, it's not a mitzvah. You should know. It's called hechcher mitzvah. You need it. You need a sukkah to do the mitzvah on a a yom tov. That's why technically, it's really, to build a sukkah, it's not a mitzvah. You can keep the sukkah forever, all year, all year, forever, just that you pick up the shach, at least, you know, a part of the shach, you pick it up and you put it down. As you count, you did the hechsher Mitzvah. But really, even if you do nothing and you have a sukkah ready completely, you still do the mitzvah on the Yom Tov. Because the actual mitzvah is to sit in a sukkah. When? When you eat bread, mezonot, and when you sleep. That's really when you are making the mitzvah, when you are able to make bracha. Now, we're going tonight to Shmini the eight days. Shmini atzeret it's a separate holiday. Even though it's attached to Sukkot, attached to Sukkot, we still have some of the laws apply from Sukkot fall on Shmini Atzeret, but it's a special holiday. It's Atzeret means, what happened is in the time of Bet HaMikdash, they used to sacrifice 70 cows for all the nations. There were 70, 70 nations. There were more than 70. But some nations are broken from one into two, into three, into ten. Like the Arabs, right? The Arabs, it's, you can have more than 20 countries who are Arab countries. Yeah. So, okay, so uh, the Arabs are 20, 20, 20 countries came from Ishmael. But really, all together, it's one nation. Ishmael is one, one minister in heaven, Ishmael is. But today you have 20 different countries. The whole Middle East is by Arabs. Not include Iran. Iran, it's not Ishmael. Azerbaijan, it's also Muslim. It's not Ishmael. Turkish, it's not Ishmael. This is not Ishmael. This is the only nations who didn't have religion. And they brainwashed them to accept this religion with the power of the sword and with some tricks. They didn't have that much uh, cleverness, I should say, and they follow this nonsense religion. Slowly, slowly, it's, it's, it spreads in the rest of the world. So it goes to countries that have nothing to do with Ishmael, but it's all started as one minister is in charge of all Arabs. So that's 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 one minister. But together in in in, in Sukkot they sacrifice seventy cows. Only one cow from the seventy is for the nation of Israel. When was it? In the eighth day of Sukkot, Shmini Atzeret. All the other cows was all for the Goim. That's why the Gemara said the Goyim destroyed Bet HaMikdash. Before they destroyed Bet HaMikdash, we used to sacrifice these cows as repentance for them. We did a huge favor for them. They destroyed, and they don't even know what they destroyed, the Gemara Seif. They only knew what damage they made for themselves, the goyim. So you say today, hurricanes, disasters, tsunamis, all these things. Things like this, in the time of Beta HaMikdash, the repentance, when we sacrificed those sacrifices for them, used to help them. Now, we don't have Beta HaMikdash. So what do we have? We have the prayers. The prayers are replacing the sacrifices. By the Goim, there's nothing to replace. When the, the Bet HaMikdash was destroyed, there's no more cards for them. The Goim don't have the prayers of Chazal with all the secrets. They make their own prayers to their idols, to whatever. That definitely doesn't help them. If any, it makes their situation a lot worse. So, this minhag, every night of the holiday, every morning of the holiday of Sukkot, we go around the bima and we do the Oshanot. Of course, the words of the Oshanot is all by Chazal. This is a memory of what used to be in Bet HaMikdash. But in Oshana Raba, it's seven different circles, seven. We do, and that's why the prayers is perhaps the longest prayers of the year. Besides Rosh Hashanah and Kippur. this is the longest Shachrit. Why? Because you have the regular Shachrit, then you have Hallel, then you have Oshanot, seven... Not one seven. Then you have Leining, reading in the Torah. Then you have Musaf. Everything combined in one davening. And I'm not talking Rosh Hashanah and Kippur; it's a separate thing. But other than that, from the regular prayers of all holidays and all, it's the longest prayer of the year. Okay. So after that, we have this minhag of the Arava. In the Aleph Bet, you have 22 letters plus five ending letters, like ending Mem, ending uh, Noon. Oh, and the all these things is some Kabbalah, Kabbalistic secrets in it. Manzapach, man that's one manzapach. So this is a minhag. This is comes from the time of the prophets. This minhag started even from the time of the prophets, which means before the Second Temple was destroyed. It's very, very early and old custom to hit, to hit the ground, not, not floor. The ground, like grass or sand, and a place that, to heed it and to say the special prayers, then to come inside, to say Nishmat Kol chai, which we're going to do, to do in two, three hours from now. Now, the question is, in, in Pesach, the night of Pesach, we sing Mani Sh'tana What's different this night from all the Lelot? What's special in the night of Pesach, when we do Leil Seder from all the rest of the year? So, so we begin to sing, Shebechol HaLeilot, or every night of the year we do this and this and that, and tonight it's completely different. So why we don't sing this song in Sukkot? Right? When we go on the first night of Sukkot, we eat two ounces of bread, what we call Kabeitza. One ounce it's kazait. Two ounces is Kabeitza. 56 grams. One ounce, 28 grams. Two ounces, 56 grams. There's arguments between the poskim, if what they say, means with the peel or without the peel. If it's with the peel, 56 grams. Without the peel, 45 grams. Whenever you have doubts, when it comes to a measurement from the Torah, all the measurements was given to Moshe Rabbeinu in Mount Sinai, And we have arguments about it. So every time you have a doubt from mitzvah from the Torah, you have to go to the strict side. So you don't take a risk. You don't have 56 and and more. Anything more than two ounces, more than two ounces is already you fulfill the obligation. The first night of Sukkot is the most important night of the entire eight days. That night it's mitzvah to eat two ounces of bread in the Sukkah, it's mitzvah from the Torah. The next morning is not mitzvah from the Torah. Every other meal we do in a sukkah, it's not an obligation from the, from the Torah. You can go the whole eight days of sukkot without eating bread, you may not have to sit in a sukkah at all. Why is it? Because there's no obligation to eat bread. Same thing in, in Pesach, from halacha, you're not obligated to eat matzah all, all eight days of Pesach when we live in the exile here. Yeah. Only the night of Lela Seder is mitzvah, to eat two ounces of matzah, at least, in the night of Lela Seder. The rest, it's a, it's a, if, if it's, it's a choice. You want you want you have, you, you have to eat? You have to eat matzah. You cannot eat bread because it's chamez. You want to eat a meal, so you are forced to eat matzah. You don't want to eat any meal. You can eat fruits. You can eat meat. You can eat rice. You don't have to eat matzah. There's no obligation to eat matzah. Same thing over here. First night, you are obligated to eat bread. How do we know it? We learn it from Gzera Shavah, from the Torah. What does it mean, Gzera Shavah? There are 13 formulas that Hashem gave Moshe Rabbeinu in Mount Sinai, how to learn. How? Yes, that's the foundation of the oral Torah, of the Torah Shebaal Peh. We read it every morning in Shachrit, before the, the first Kaddish, before Oduh. We say, it's needless to say. If you, de- if, you, if you did something and this is your punishment, if you did something much worse, then the punishment is much bigger. It's needless to say. This is things that you learn. It's called. Kal okay? Then you have. Gzira shava. What's. Gzira shava? We have in traditions that all together there are 400 Gzerot shavot in the Torah. What does it mean Gzira shavah? There is two psukim, two verses in the written Torah, with a mutual word, mutual word. And our sages, chazal, they had this knowledge that we, are, we already don't have, but we count on their knowledge. They knew that there are linked linkage between, between those verses that if this verse is talking about one law, and another verse has a mutual word, that means that law applies to that, to that law as well. So because in the night of Pesach, which is the 15th day of Nisan, which is the 14th day of Nisan, we are preparing with the sacrifice of Passover, and we're preparing the matzot for the night, and in the night we have an obligation to eat the matzah, al matzot merorim yochlu, right? So since the Torah speaking Tetvav, the 15th, there is another verse that's speaking about the 15th day of Tishrei, you're going to sit in a Sukkot, 15-15. It's a mutual word in the Torah. So we learned that the same way there's an obligation to eat matzah, at least two ounces, in the night of the 15th of Nisan, we have the same obligation to eat bread inside the Sukkah in the first night of Sukkot. Which, you know, in Judaism, the night, the day begins in the beginning of the night. After the stars appear, that's the beginning of the new day. Not like the Goim at midnight. By the Goim, when it's becoming dark, it's still the same day. By us, once it becomes dark, it's a new day. As the Torah says in Genesis and Bereshit, it was night, it was day, which means the night is the beginning. When it's getting dark, is the beginning of a new day in a calendar. So once you see stars, there's an obligation to eat bread inside the sukkah in the first night. What happens if it's raining? You cannot make the bracha. Why? Because you're suffering. When you suffer, you are dismissed from the sukkah. If you sit in the rain, in the sukkah, and it's dripping on you, and it's dripping into your food, not only it's not a mitzvah, it's v'shalom, like kersing Hashem. Why? It's, it's not, it's, I have to be happy in your holiday. And also Chazal If you have sorrow, and, and agony, and aggravation inside the sukkah, such as bad smell who came, Not that you build a sukkah in a smelly place to begin with, and finding and tricking tricking Hashem. So you know what? If somebody has aggravation, it is dismissed from the sukkah. I don't like, I want to live in my $5 million mansion. Why do I'm going to sleep in a sukkah now? Let me build a sukkah in a place where there's construction, there's bad smell over there, you know, by the sewer. Like this, my sukkah, I'm dismissed. No, that's a criminal. We're talking, you build a sukkah in a kosher place, and uh, a few hours later, something happened, and a bad smell came in the neighborhood, or some guy decided to, to cook his pork next to you, and you have to smell it now. All kinds of things that was unexpected. Then you are dismissed if you suffer, or if there's bugs, or bees, or freezing weather, or such a hot, humid weather that you cannot breathe. All these things who make you suffer dismiss you from the sukkah. However, so the first night, even if it's raining, a person has to wait, even all night, until the rain will stop, even for five minutes, that he can sit quickly in the sukkah and make the bracha shabba basukkah and eat at least, five minutes it takes, eat at least two ounces of bread when he's not suffering in the sukkah. The rest of the nights, it's raining, you go inside, you can eat inside, no problem. Too freezing, you cannot sleep in a sukkah. Some people, they put ten blankets, cover their head, and they don't realize that it's not only if you freeze when you sleep or not, it's also when you breathe, the cold air goes into your lungs all night. The morning, you become sick. That wasn't the intention of the Torah. In Israel, you don't have these problems. You live in a holy land, you don't, there's not freezing weather there ever in sukkot. The only Mitzta'er could be either it's too hot or that there could be terrorism, the Arabs controlling Israel, whether you like to admit it or not. They are everywhere, terrorism is everywhere, and it's dangerous. You sleep in some areas, you're close to their territories, they can come and slaughter you in the middle of the night. So if you fear, then it's Mitzta'er. You always worry, who knows what can happen? So it's called Mitztair. Or it's raining. Usually in Sukkot, is the first rain. It's called the Ore. Usually, always, it falls in Sukkot. That's the only way it, But nobody frees in Israel. Nobody frees in Sukkot. But over here, or in Russia, or in Europe, it can be freezing weather. That's called Mitztair Patum in Asukah. So the question that I ask why in Pesach we sing Manishtana? What's different this night from all the nights? And the night of Sukkot, we don't sing this song. Why? It's the song is for the same miracle, same miracle. Here we say Manishtana. Here we came out of Egypt, okay? And what we say? One of the things is we ask why every, all the time we were slaves. Now, all of a sudden, we are kings, princes. We're sitting in Behesheva. You know, in Pesach, you sit on a chair like a king. All the, all year round, the Jewish people were not masters, whatever they are. They are under the control of the goyim, under the control of their decisions, under anti-Semitism, under slavery, under all kinds of problems. All of a sudden, pass overnight everyone becomes a king. Drink wine, laying on on the on the pillows, what's going on? So that's why we sing. Manishtana Lailaze, what's special? But in Sukkot, there is no point of singing it. Why? Because we as the Jewish nation always was on a road. We were always traveling. We always live in tents. We always live in Sukkot. There's nothing special for us. we always on Iran. Always this decrees, the Jews have to live in one week. The Jews have to leave, the Jews have to do this, the Jews have to do this. If they don't leave, we'll kill you, inquisitions, all kinds of problems. And sitting in the Sukkah for us, it's nothing special. Even if we have 40, 50 years of peace, then the decrees begin. If you look at the history, the, the Jews never had a peace of mind, no matter where they live. It could be 20, 30, 50 years. It was already incredible. Right after that comes a new king, The, big, the problems begin. Throughout, throughout history, the Jews are establishing themselves. They're very successful in economy. They build nice houses. Come some anti-Semite Muslim caliph. He changed the rules. Everyone has to run away. Christian, crazy king comes, he makes decisions, decrees, inquisition, you must be Christians, you have no rights. The history repeats all the time. So the joy is nothing special. Living in a sukkah is not such a big difference from our history. Living like a kings that's a big difference from our history. That's why we sing the songs in Pesach and not in Sukkot. Now, we all know the Arbat Aminim, the four kinds of things that we use. Each one of them symbolizes different parts of our body. The Lulav is the spine. The Etrog is the heart. The Arava is the lips. And the Adasim is the eyes. If you look at the leaves of the Adas, it looks like eyes. And the Arava looks like lips, it's long leaves and the etrog look like, a, and the lulav look like a spine, and the etrog has a shape of a heart, and the size of a heart also, most of them. But really the secrets of them, that you have to hold them together. If you hold the, the, the lulav like this, and the etrog over there, you don't do the mitzvah correctly. It has to be always together. Why? Why it's so important that they touch each other? You hold them together, combined. Why? The answer is, because we have a rule in Judaism, that when you pray alone, Hashem looked at you as an individual, and He decided to accept your prayer or not. If you're perfectly tzaddik, you're righteous, you're clean, no gezel, no stealing, no lashonara, no zeralevatala, none of these things, then Hashem looks at you and say, you know what, that's a pure tzaddik, pure righteous person. Your prayer can go even if you pray by yourself, the express. How many people like this you have in the world? You can count them on one or two ends. If Hashem will judge each person for everything he does, eh, how many of us, our prayers deserve to go express? So what's the solution to pray in Minyan? Tefillah B'Tzibur. Tzibur, Tzibur, the word Tzibur means public. Together. Tzibur is abbreviation. There's a secret in this word Tzibur. Tz- tzadik, Yud, Bet, vav, resh, right? So it's actually without you. Tzibur, tzadik, bet, vav, resh. What is it? Tzadik, tzadikim. Vereshaim, right? Vbenonim, vreshahim. We have tzadik, vbenonim, Verasha. It comes to together. So we have righteous, mediocre, half enough, and Reshaim completely wicked, all gather together and they pray together. Same thing over here. The there are four different kinds of people. There are people that have no Torah and no manners, no derech nothing. Empty. You cannot find any good thing about them. You know, the arrogant Dirty the mouth, dirty the thoughts, dirty the behaving. No chesed, no Torah. I cannot say one word of Torah. Seven years he lives besides playing Sheshbesh and go to, to watch some soccer games. And nothing he knows. Worthless. You know, like an animal. Who is he? Arava. This person, he put a sticker on his head. Mr. Arava. Why Arava? Arava doesn't have no smell and no taste. Smell and taste is a martial parable to Torah and manners and derech eretz. You know, if he has nothing, that means he has no taste, no smell. That means this arava is like a person who is worthless. Then we have adas, smells beautiful, amazing smell like heaven, but no taste. So someone with nice manners everywhere, people smell good from him, he doesn't make bad reputation, but no taste, no Torah, nothing, he doesn't know Torah, but he's always run, he serves the people, he cleans the shul, he's the last one who clean. he serves, he brings tea, he knows, uh, to learn, I don't know, let me at least make the people who learn happy, let me get them cake, let me give them this, let me wake them up for minyan, let me, you know, he's always nice. No one hates him. Why? Because he's a nice person. But Torah he doesn't have. So he's like kadas. Smells great. No Torah. Then we have Lulav. Lulav comes from the date tree. The palm tree. He has dates. So he has Torah. He has good taste. But no smell. You try to smell it. No smell. But great, delicious smell. Delicious taste. The dates. Very good taste. So, yes, Torah, but no manners. You ask, how can it be? Someone who has Torah, how can he not have manners? Right? How can a person have Torah without manners? The answer is many people that learn Torah, it makes them arrogant and proud. Pride goes into the heart. Why? Before he knew Torah, there was nothing to be proud of. What should I be proud of? That I know the new cars who came to the market, that I know about watches, that I know about suits, what am I going to brag about? If I go and sit in front of the rabbis, what am I going to talk to them about? The new suit came to the market, they invented a new shirt, the new watch came in Switzerland, uh, the Belgium invented a new chocolate, what am I going to speak to the rabbi? A new uh, basketball team won the championship, a Israeli soccer team played uh, and put a Yam on and say Shema Yisrael. What am I going to tell the rabbis? The only, the only one thing I can speak in front of people who are in a high level is Torah. So once he becomes already a Talmud Chacham, he become, he's starting to become proud. And everyone else that is not a Talmud Chacham is worthless for him. Sometimes he becomes a racist. The Torah that he knows makes him a racist. Why? He looks at a group of people who, they came from a country that they couldn't learn Torah over there. Either communism or Muslim decrees, or there was no enough rabbis to teach Torah over there, or there were poverty. People had to work like slaves. They couldn't learn Torah. And he came from a place that they had wealth and they they can afford to learn Torah. So it makes him, he feels like a big shot. And the Torah has a, a... a way to make a person feel important. Once he you knows a lot of Torah, he you knows everyone will respect him. It may make him more proud than his natural way. Because of that, this is somebody like the, like the palm tree, like the Tamar. Yes, you have good taste because you know a lot of Torah, but you don't have a good smell and nobody can stand you. Right? And even if people of his whole house cannot stand him. And if you ask me if something like this happened in history, it happened. The Gemara brings a story about the son of Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai. Who in the history was like Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai? How many people? You can count on one hand. And his son was just as big as him. His son buried next to him in Meron. His son, when he died, 22 years, his wife kept him in the attic. He didn't need burial. 22 years without refrigerator, without freezer. He was in the heat of Israel, in an attic, in 110 degrees, 22 years. Not one worm came out of his body. The body never smelled. People used to come pray in their house. Eliezer. Yeah, Eliezer, his son. was a very holy man. But he was very heavy. Very heavy, full of fat. The Gemara say, in the month of Tammuz, the Chachamim made him a liposuction surgery. If you think the doctors today invented liposuction, think again. At the time of the Gemara, they took two big buckets full of fat from his body. They took out of his body. The Gemara say, they put him, they made him sleep on a marble surface. Why marble? Because the Chachamim knew, just like the scientists today, without microscope. They knew that marble is the most sterilized material you can find in nature. It it takes less germs. If you clean it, that's it. There's no, no germs on it. Every other thing attracts germs to come. But marble is very sterilized. So they put him on a marble, the Gemara say, and they took two buckets of fat from his body with pieces of flesh, pieces of meat from his body with the blood mixed in the fat, and they did not smell the entire month of Tammuz, when in every normal person, if you take fat from his body, a minute later he begins to smell the entire area. Like it was a horrible smell, you know? But his fat did not smell. Zagmara so like said, one time he, walk, he was walking on a donkey, riding on a donkey, and he saw a very ugly man, very ugly man. So he said to this man, "Reka. What is it, Reka? In our days, FS, loser. Hey, loser! Imagine such a thing: the chief rabbi of Israel, who, one of the chief rabbis, he, he, he drives on his, or in his car, and he opens the window, and he sees somebody ugly on the street of Bnei Brak or Jerusalem, the chief rabbi of the world, and he says to him, "Hey, loser!" <laughs> Imagine such a thing. Now, somebody like this can stay in job. People would burn his books, probably. How much Lajonara on in the internet you have on him? for years. <laughs> ah, you're calling him rabbi? This is the son of Yishiv mechayemetim, Not somebody today, uh, you know? Somebody bought him a nice house, so he forgot he's a rabbi, started to dress like a model. We're not talking this kind of, uh, of uh, we're talking uh, holy men. So he said to him, hey, tell me, you ugly, who made you? He said to him, how come you so ugly? Or all the people in your city are ugly like you? He asked him. <laughs> so, so, so the yes. Uh, so he said to him, "You calling me ugly? Why don't you go and complain to the artists who designed me?" So right away, he realized he made a big mistake, and he started to apologize to him. Please forgive me. I'm so sorry. So first of all, why the Gemara brings this story? To make this holy man look bad for he- forever? You know what the, what the, the bushah is this? Imagine now, 2,000 years, every Jew all over the world, he gets to this Gemara and he learns about him. It's a big bushah. It's not an article two weeks in the New York Times and everyone forget about you. This is for 2,000 years. It's a part of the oral Torah. It became an integral part of the Talmud. <laughs> you cannot erase it. Mashiach come, it's still going to stay. It's a big bushah. Yeah. Why they brought this story? To make him look bad? No. Everywhere else, he said that he was a very holy man. Learned Torah 13 years with his father with an angel. If he wasn't worthy, the angel wouldn't come. If you have tzaddik and Rasha, the, 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 the angel said, get this smelly one out of here. If you want to learn with me in kedusha, get rid of him. Send him out. I cannot see, learn with him. He was a tzaddik, just like Rabbi Shimon Ayochai. So the answer is, the Gemara brought this story to teach us that someone who made a horrible mistake, and once the person told him, go to the artist who made me, right away realize realized his mistake, it didn't take him a second to make tshuva. He doesn't have ego, like it looks like. But the Torah, he, he felt so perfect, that all of a sudden he said to this man, Look how you look. And right away he said. He followed him the entire way to the town and begged him for Mechila, and this person wasn't ready to forgive. He doesn't want to forgive. And then when the people of the city came out, and they said, Rabbi, Rabbi, Rabbi. So the ugly man said, who are you calling a Rabbi? He said to this man behind you. He said, if he's a Rabbi, may there never be any Rabbi like him in the nation of Israel. How you say, how you say such a thing? So he told them what he did. So they told him, forgive him. He's a very big, important man. Forgive him. So he said, the ugly man said, I forgive you for their honor. Which means he didn't really forgive 100% from his heart. And because of this story, by the way, we have the halakha that we write mezuzot with something soft. The Gemara say, we write mezuzot with cane, today we write with feather, which is even softer. But with cane, it's soft, it's flexible. But not from eres. It's eres is very hard. It's not flexible. Why? Because Gemara wants to teach us that Hashem loves people that are soft, flexible. Mean they put their head down. If somebody offended them, they're willing to forgive right away. They don't make a big deal out of it. Some people, every little thing, for years, they keep it in their heart. For years. Some people, five minutes later, don't worry, I forgave you. It never happened. They move on with their life. Next thing, you need a favor? It's really never happened. Not like the people, 10 years they say, 10 years they declare that they forgave that person. After 10 years they see him on the street, they're ready to kill him. Every day, in the morning, what does he say? 10 years later, he seems. What, what happened to Elul, Yom Kippur, Lichot, salachnu Sal- everything is baloney. Just beautiful speeches. So, so the, the story over here to teach us that even if you make the most horrible mistake, you have to do tshuva, and the faster you do it, the better it gets. So, uh, Sukkot comes right after Yom Kippur. Why? Because to go to the exile is the best remedy for the neshama, for the soul. If a person has to leave his comfortable home, and he goes out to a place that is not comfortable for him, that's erasing all his sins, and it's a new start for him. This is the secret when Hashem said to Abraham, I lech lech already told him, What is lech lecha? Lech. It's numeric value, 50. Lecha, it's also 50. 50 and 50, when you'll be 100, you'll have a boy that will continue your way. Lech lecha. He was 75 years old. So he said, leave everything you have and go to the unknown. Go, leave everything. Avram could have said, Hashem, they have mercy on me. It took me many years to establish my empire here. Now you want me to leave, to go to a place, to start from zero. Avram didn't make a beep and that, therefore Avraham is memorized as uh, one of the most important people ever. So, uh, the seven days of Sukkot, every night, another Ushpizin comes to the Sukkah. Ushpizin means in Aramaic a guest, an important guest, of course it's the spirit. You ask how the spirit of Avram or Yitzhak or Yaakov or anyone can go to 5,000 or 50,000 Sukkot all over the world at the same time. Uh have to be, uh, 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 how they split themselves? The answer is a soul can be in few places at the same time. It's not a physical object. Mm -hmm. Like for instance, and I just made a new film, Life After Death, I put some, some DVDs here on the table. You can watch. It's scientific proof that really the soul never dies and people died and came back to life, and they report what happened to them, very interesting film, but one of the symptoms is Jews and non-Jews that died in an accident. Let's say the accident was in a highway, and then they took them all the way to the hospital, which is 10 miles away. When they came back to life after 10, 20 minutes, or 30 minutes even, they reported what happened in the last half an hour when they were completely dead, they were able to, to, to describe the hospital, every room in the hospital. And the highway, the place of the accident where parts of the body were still there, they were able to report from the highway and from the hospital at the same time. How, how can they be in two different places? It's 10 miles away. Mm-hmm. If, if the body lay here, the body, walks, comes to us, the body can say what's in this room. How the body, how the body that is right here, transferred all over the hospital and the highway, the body is right here. The spirit has no limitation. It's very interesting. The divine is like, like a little God. The soul of a person is a spark from Hashem. It's a little God. And what happened in the soul? The soul can report with no limitation. And this is the same thing with Shpizin. Same thing, Eliyahu Navi comes to every Beit mila. How can it come to every Brit milah? Today, there's a ha, 500 Brit Mila today, all over the world. One in Hong Kong, one in Israel, one in the uh, United States, one in Europe. Elia uh, wa why? He's not getting tired? Going to all the Brit, the, the, the Brit, Brit milah, circumcision? What's going on? Because of course, there's no limitation. There's no, not, no, no problem whatsoever. Now, I want to read to you, before the time will, will arrive for us to pray... I want to read you something very interesting. So just we conclude what I said before on the four different kinds of people. Some people can have Torah, can have Torah, but they, don't, they have problems with the personality. They don't work on the character on the Midot. And because of that, they are like the Lulav. They have good taste, the dates, but they don't have good smell. And the perfect one is the Etrog. The Etrog has good smell, Great smell and also great taste. Today the Etrogim don't have taste. Don't have taste. But in the time of the Torah was given, the Etrogim had the most delicious taste. We learned it from a Midrash that said that Yosef HaTzadik, he went to Egypt when he was 17 years old. He was very, very good looking man. Very handsome man but not just another handsome movie star that you know today. It was such a pretty young boy that the women were doing everything they can in Egypt to look at his face. He couldn't stop looking at his beauty. That's how beautiful he was. Now imagine, 17 years old, is when the Yetzerara, the evil inclination, it's the strongest ever in the life of a person. Plus, he goes away from his father, from his Rebbe. His father was his Rebbe. Far away from Torah. From away, far away from Jewish community. Alone in a country where all the most horrible sins are happening all the time. All the prostitutions, all the sins, the worst sins that you can think of. And he has to live in the same house with one of the most beautiful women ever lived. What a big Nisayon. Who could, have make, who could have passed such a Nisayon? So the Midrash tell us that she used to talk about his beauty. She was a married woman, this Egyptian. She was telling everyone, you have to see what this Hebrew slave that came to us. You have to see how, how good looking he is. So they used to make fun at her. They used to make fun at her. So the Midrash said they used to make a party. All the rich ministers, their wives, And they used to serve etrogim. There was the fruit of the kings, like the most important fruit in the world. So the Midrash said that they used to cut, to slice it. It was so delicious. So when he walked to the room, all of them looked at him. They were so shocked that they cut their fingers off. It was all bleeding. Why? Because they were shocked from his beauty. But from this Midrash we learn how the etrogim was like paradise. So you ask, what happened that it's not so delicious? That's not even a question. Why? All the shivat aminim, all the fruits that describe in the Torah, when Moshe sent the spies, the spies went to the Holy Land for the first time, before they entered to to Israel, they described the fruits was huge. The grapes, every grape was the size of a grapefruit. It was amazing. And, and, And honey, honey, The sweetness of the fruit when they were on a tree was dripping. A person can come and open his mouth and drops are falling right into his mouth like honey. That's how the fruit was. Today, the fruits and the vegetables are nothing compared to what it used to be. Nothing. Why is it the Torah said that because of the sins, because of the sins, everything that grows from the ground, the quality of it goes lower and lower, lower and lower. So even though it's much, much, much lower than what it used to be 3,000 years ago, it's still the best fruits in the whole world in Israel. No one denies it. But it's nothing compared to what it was. And if you don't believe, the older one here can tell you that the fruits in Israel 50 years ago compared to today were much better than today. 50 years ago, the fruit was much better than today. Third years was much better than today. It's less and less every generation. It's not as good. It's not as good as it was. And this is it. That's what's really happening. So, this is the four different kinds. So, when we put them together, the righteous, the perfect chachamim that have good midot, and the chachamim that doesn't have such good midot, and the amearatzot that have good midot but don't have Torah, and those who have nothing all gather together. One is covering for the other. That's the that's the whole unity of Chag Sukkot. Okay. Also, one more thing about Sukkot: in Pesach, it's all pure holiday for the Jews. Sukkot, for whatever reason, if we read in the entire Talmud and the words of the prophets, the holiday of Sukkot also is for the Goim. Mm-hmm. The Goim don't make Sukkah, but everything that speaks about the Goim somehow relates to Sukkot. For instance, the nevuah of Gog the end of the world, after the disaster, what's going to happen? It says that the goyim who will remain will come to celebrate the holiday of Sukkot. What's, why this? From 613 mitzvot, Hashem likes to give the goyim this mitzvah of Sukkah. Also, the, the Midrash say that after Mashiach came, the goyim will come and they complain. They say, why the Jews... Get this prize now. They have Mashiach and everything. What's with us? What's, why, you don't, why we didn't get it? So Hashem said to them, you, all these years, you didn't come, you didn't join my nation. You didn't do anything. Why, why should you get it? You know what? Let me give you one mitzvah. Which mitzvah? He gives them mitzvah tzuka. So he gives them mitzvah tzuka. And he takes out the sun. One time in a history, there was a very hot day. And the third day of Avram, Avinu after he circumcised himself. Mm-hmm. He was a hundred years old. Three days after the circumcision is the most painful day. And then Avram goes to look for guests. And Hashem made it such a hot day that there's no guests on the street. In the end, Avram doesn't give up. Hashem sent him the angels. The rest of the story you know. But one thing over here is very interesting. When Hashem will tell the goyim, okay, build a sukkah, and sit in a sukkah, he makes it very, very hot day. Very hot day, it's boiling. So the goyim they go crazy. They say, wow, "What kind of mitzvah is this?" And they begin to kick the sukkah. Who needs this? They kick the sukkah. So the question is, why Hashem gives the goyim this the sukkot, they sit in a sukkah. Also in the Nevot, it mentioned the goyim elat. Pesach, you don't bring a goy to lela seder. Pesach symbolized finally going to freedom. The goim were making us their slaves. Finally, we got rid of the slavery. But Sukkot is a different story. Even though, according to Kabbalah, it's very not recommended that a goy will enter the Sukkah, Kavod, the Shekhinah. But if a goy went in, according to the Peshat, it's not an Avera. A cleaning lady went and cleaned the Sukkah. By the Pshat, it's not a restriction. Only the Kabbalist, which it's mystical things, it's better that they won't come in. Usually, everything that speaks in the Talmud against Goim in general, you should know. It's not against all the Goim, it's against the Of the Elilim. There's, it's called Akum. I always use this expression, Of De Kochavimu Mazalot, because most of the Goim in the world are idols worshippers. Most of them. Even the Arabs, after Islam, they worshiped our gods. But before Islam, they have 365 gods. And every day of the year, they believed in a different god. And one of them was Allah, what they call Allah, which comes from the Hebrew name El. Right? And then when Muhammad came, he was copying everything from the Jews. As you can see, half of the Quran is copied from the Torah. He made them get rid of all the idol worshippings that they had, the Arabs. And he made them follow the one God. But most of the world, even today, all Chinese people, almost all of them, with no exception, they're all idols worshippers, almost two billion people, all the Thailandis, all the Indians, all the Christians in the world, all Europe, all United States, all the Christians all over the world, all of them are idols worshippers. Those are the ones who the Torah or the oral Torah are speaking against. But the righteous goyim that believes in one God and keep the seven laws, they are not falling into these derogatory comments. Not the opposite. That keep the of the of Noah? Who are they? Well, today, there are, first of all, you should know there are a few million Goims in the world that are aware of the seven laws of Noah. They are aware of it. There's actually movement. They, they're exchanging information. They have gatherings. They have materials about it in the internet. You put in Google the, seven, the Noachites, they call themselves, and you see there are millions of them all over the world, and it's only growing. They wa- they're waking up, they're realizing that Christianity is false, and then they ask the rabbis, and many rabbis who answer them, you have to keep the seven laws. They ask which are the seven laws. They tell them, and there's also in the internet some website of Jews who made it for the Goim. As even questions in halacha, if it's mitzvah for a Jew to take a goy and make him religious, how do you make a goy religious? You teach him the seven laws. Or if he's about to violate one of the seven rules, if you save him from violating this rule, if it's uh, if it's called al dam reecha, or lifnei for instance, if a goy wants you to help him to worship an idol and you prevent it, you do a mitzvah Bair or if you help the goy to violate one of the seven rules, is this a sin for you also, or only for him? Because it's called ifnei ver lot iten So the conclusion is, a Jew is not allowed to help the goy to make a sin. Which sin? One of the seven laws. For instance, if a goy wants to steal, a Jew is not allowed to help him. If you say, what's the combination of this store? I want to go and steal the diamonds there. I'll give you 10%. I'll give you 20% if you tell me. He's not allowed to help him. Why? It's, one, it's violation one of the seven rules. Also, you should know that the punishments of the goyim for every one of the seven laws are much worse than the punishment of the Jews. Much worse. And they don't have Yom Kippur. They don't have Elul. They don't have this concept of tshuva like we have. They don't have it. Technically, the chayav mitah right away. It's very interesting. So it's up to Hashem when he decides when to kill them or not. He can give them a chance to repent. Or he can just kill them, but it doesn't. They don't have this all this privilege that the Jews receive. Yom Kippur, Elul, Dirshu Hashem biyotokarov, all this. Uh, this in, uh, we have all these things thanks to Moshe Rabenu. Why do you think we have this month of Elul? Moshe Rabenu gave his heart and soul to save his brothers. Went up to the mountain. Hashem wanted to destroy us for the sin of the golden calf, for Egel Azav. And what happened? Moshe Rabbeinu begged Hashem, and in the end, Hashem said to him, "Salachti ki But Hashem said to Moshe, "Leave me, leave me alone. Let me destroy them, and I'll start the new from you." Yes. Yeah, so that's the that's the 40 days of Elul. Moshe Rabbeinu, the 40 days from Rosh Chodesh Elul until Yom Kippur. That's where Hashem forgave us. Without Moshe Rabbeinu, we'll be. Uh, who knows where we'll be today? You understand? So this is the conclusion of all this. Now, since we have Mamash, another five, six minutes, let me read to you the word of the Ramchal. We'll finish with this. The Ramchal in Messilati Yisharim, chapter 2, in Path to the Just. I have a whole series about the whole Mestilat Yisharim in Hebrew and in English. If you, don't, if you didn't hear it yet, it's a must listen. You have to listen to it because this is many questions about the purpose of a life of a Jew, what does he have to do here, and many of the tricks of the Yetzer HaRa to destroy us, how we can prevent from falling into his traps. That's why this book was written, to teach us the right path. So this is what he writes. One of the common tricks of the Satan, of the evil inclination, is to make the human being always busy with nonsense a person doesn't understand that he's busy with nonsense business, opening franchise, another location and another one he has one location he makes a million dollars a year he's more than wealthy why does he need more than that? pays his children tuition he pays his mortgage, he pays his vacation house, he pays for three cars, he pays for everything. We still have half a million left. It's, it's legally fine. No. Why? He looks somebody else has a three million a year. He feels poor. I'm the poorest guy in my community. Like one of the richest billionaires, Jewish billionaires, one of them came to me, said, I want, you, I want to take you to Mexico City. I say why? I don't speak Spanish. I said, no, no, don't worry. I'm taking you to all my business colleagues. They all speak perfect English. They have degrees from the best universities. So he said to me, they think I'm rich like them. That's why they give me a lot of respect. But I don't know how to talk, to convince them to become religious, because they're all scientists. They have a university brain. They say things that I don't know how to handle. So I'll take you with me and they listen to you if you be with me, they give me respect, they think I'm rich like them. In reality, he's richer than them. <laughs> it's very, very rich. He, he try to fool me, like I'm not so you know, I'm not I'm only rich, I'm not a billionaire. So he say I'm gonna go over there. So what's happened is these people never have a moment of rest. Why? No matter how much they have, they're always busy. Let's open this, let's open. Every year you hear about this family, they want to open something new, they're on the news, they hear. What for? You have enough to live 50,000 years, just from the interest of the money. You just put the money in a CD, you have enough to live forever. But this is the words of the Ramchal. What does it say? It says, he always makes a person so busy with his personal things that he doesn't have a moment. A person will never have a moment anymore left to analyze and to rejudge his direction in life. Why? Because he's so busy, he's already so deep into his investment, into his normal lifestyle, that it cannot make a time out and see, oh, you know what? Let me reevaluate my life. Maybe I'm in the wrong direction. Maybe it's not what Hashem wants for me. So what happened? The Satan knows al if they would have an hour In their life, without the headache of their businesses, without the thoughts of the businesses, without all the things that happen and change in their life every second in their life. Right away, they become, they start to repent, to make tshuva. One hour. Without all my investment and headache and telephones and these and stocks and every movement and the manager and the employees and imports and exports and the truck and UPS, all these things that we have non stop. Right away, I say, you know what? I have a great opportunity to stop. Until they leave their sins completely. <laughs> right? So what's the conclusion of that? So, this is what the conclusion. A person is not interested to meet himself. He's interested to meet the whole world, but he never made an appointment with himself to know himself better, right? He has a lot of excuses. I have obligations, I have mortgages, I have this, I have that, right? And he's busy with hobbies. Even when his business doesn't require time, he creates himself no actions. Playing golf, tennis, fishing. Who needs this? Why? Not to be bored. Why? A person doesn't want to be alone and not in a center of actions. Why? He doesn't understand that the Satan is fooling him every second of his life. And the conclusion is, Adam, she tochen na'ala right? He's always sad if he's not busy with these things, with these activities, right? And he doesn't understand that these activities are blinding him and are also a fake replacement for the real pleasure, which is the Torah. If a person would take a time out from all this and fill himself with Torah, he won't need friends. He won't need activities. He won't need hobbies. He won't need five different jobs. He won't need all this luxurious lifestyle. None of it will be important for him, and he will be free from this slavery. A person makes himself a slave of the Yetzerara. And one last minute, Marash will finish these words. So, these people are constantly lying to themselves, and they're busy in this fake life until Chaz Shalom. They get to the moment that they have to separate from all this, and they realize the mistake. And Bezrat Hashem, now we're going to pray that Filah of Hoshana Rabbah with Kavanah. And we'll do the, the final tshuva. And that's it. The moments of tshuva is finishing. The window of tshuva is finishing completely in the next two, three hours. Bezrat Hashem. <speaking in Hebrew> <speaking in Hebrew>